All right. Good stuff. Good stuff. Uh, just received an announcement. Um, <clears throat> Kathy Smith, the wife of Scott Smith, has passed away. Um, the Smiths were members here for many years. Kathy had uh, battled cancer for a number of years, and uh, we wanted, I know a lot of you may have known them, but if you could reach out to that family, Kathy Smith, the wife of Scott, um, has passed away. And I'm sorry to hear that for those of you um, that are experiencing that loss. But it's good for us to share this information as a family and know this. Um, if you'll turn in your Bibles this morning to the book of James, chapter 3. We are in the book of James together. Years ago, I had a sermon similar to this, and I titled it, Shut Your Mouth. <laughs> and I came out to everybody, and I said, hey, good morning. And it was all quiet. I said, shut your mouth. Is the title of today's sermon. And it was hilarious. It's not that funny here, but it was hilarious then. James chapter 3, we're going to look at the first 12 verses, folks. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, also able to, to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of a uh, uh, excuse me, <clears throat> I'm so sorry, guys. Let me go back to verse 2. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird and reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who were made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. So the title, uh, the title of today's sermon, of course, is, is the power of the tongue. Um, in parentheses, shut your mouth, right? But the power of the tongue. Now, Calvin Coolidge once said this, and I believe these to be very wise words, but Calvin Coolidge once said one of the first lessons that a president has to learn is that every word he says weighs a ton. Now, I like this because if we were to measure and calculate our words knowing that they 
mean a ton, our speech would be much different. Our communication, right? The words, they'd be much different. See, a person's words will influence others. Absolutely. Either for good or bad. Now, we have to know that. We can influence either for good or for bad. But have you ever thought about how powerful your words can be? History warns us that words have been the sparks that have ignited some horrible things, like wars. Uh, the power of words can be seen in recalling the impact of certain speeches, uh, like that of Adolf Hitler. Hitler's speeches, through his words, which were inflamed with hatred, inflamed with lies, but what did those words do? He whipped his nation into a frenzy. They became an instrument of destruction. Another key person in history uh, was Winston Churchill. Now, he was, he was a little more eloquent with his words than Hitler. And his words were measured. They were calculated. Uh, but he lifted his nation up and led them to a great victory. And, you know, I can't help when I think of these key historical figures and, of course, you know, all the presidential elections that have been uh, in the last, you know, 10 or 20 years, the mob mentality. Something can be said in a certain group and those words spread like wildfire, even if they're a lie, even if they're fake, it spreads like wildfire with the mob mentality. That's the power of words. And I can't help but tell you this, broken relationships. Broken relationships should haunt us all. Even if forgiveness, folks, even if forgiveness is there, it should still haunt us because words cannot be taken back. They could not be taken back. So let me ask you this, how much verbal abuse do you think you can take? How much verbal abuse could you take uh, before losing control, losing your temper? You know, think about it. When others speak ill or evil about you, how much can you take before you explode in either hurt or anger or both? Flip the record over to side B. What about you? What about you? Consider every unkind or evil word you've ever spoken to someone that was your target. I want you to picture leaving a scar of every individual that you have said a cruel or thoughtless word to. We've done it, people. All of us are guilty. Words are damaging. They hurt feelings, damage relationships, right? Words, broken homes. Even criminal activity can result from carelessly spoken words. So it's a fact, and I think you'll agree with me, it is a fact that more trouble is stirred up by people's words than any other act. And this is where James is going. That is the power of the tongue. In our previous section, you and I looked at how real, genuine faith is demonstrated. And how is it demonstrated? By works. But now as we look at to maturing in our faith, and that's what we're doing, we're continually working towards maturing, we want to provide evidence for our faith also, and we are faced with the dangers of the tongue in that progression of getting better and better, stronger and stronger, at controlling what comes out. So if we want to mature, we have to face the dangers of the tongue. Can we have power over it? And that is the question. That is the question. It's a very important thing here for a believer because our speech, our words, they are an external indicator of our inner spiritual condition. In other words, our heart condition. Just as works are an external indicator of your faith, ladies and gentlemen, so are your words. So are your tongues. So, James starts here with teachers. 
Now, I don't know if a lot of people were aspiring to be teachers. It could be. Maybe they saw the prestige in this position. Maybe it gave some type of authority. Uh, were there benefits to this office? Maybe. It could have been. Uh, maybe it was that the tongue was the primary instrument for a teacher. But he lists teachers and preachers. But he says something very important. He says, talks about judgment. You will be judged with greater strictness. Now, why are preachers and teachers judged with greater strictness? Well, the answer is in verse 2. <clears throat> For we all stumble in many ways. So hear me out. Teachers influence. That's their job. Teachers influence. And they are in the constant use of their tongues. But the problem is a teacher could be error, an error morally. A teacher could be an error doctrinally. Same thing with a pastor. And they could lead others into that error. Their speech could be flawed. It could be false speech. This is the stumbling that brings greater judgment, stricter judgment. That's what he's talking about. And he'd start with the teacher because everybody is taught by somebody. And it's a great example of the power and influence of words. But we got to remember Matthew 18.6. Matthew 18.6 says, But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. So what James is presenting is serious, serious business. And that is the power of the tongue. Now, what's interesting about this text is James is making a connection here. He's making a connection uh, with what one says, the tongue, right? With that of the whole body. A lot of times we don't think of it like that. But it's with the whole body. See, words usually lead to actions. I don't know if you remember, maybe you didn't fight as a kid, but if you can remember being in a fight as a kid, um, a lot of times the tongue has written a check that the body now has to cash, right? We have forced the rest of our body to defend itself because this wouldn't stop. It could have been a verbal argument. It could have been a fist fight. But I'm trying to show you, just as little kids get into arguments, it's usually stirred up by words. And do you remember this expression? Uh, Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Raise your hand if you ever said that in your life. A few. Did anybody had add hip action when they were saying it? You remember? Y'all didn't do that? Oh, maybe it was a Florida thing. Those people are weird in Florida, you know. Here's the thing with sticks and stones. Absolutely, I do agree with the first part. They may break your bones. Some of you may have a bone broken by a stone or a stick. I don't know, but I disagree with the latter part. That words will never hurt me. I've said this to you before and I'll say it again. With certain things that have been said to me in my life, and I'm sure you can relate to that. I would have much been rather punched in the face. I've been hit. It hurts. Oh, it hurts instantly, and it'll throb for a little bit, and you might get a little bruising, but the pain goes away, and the bruising goes away, it goes away, it goes away. The words, they do not. I can remember things 30 or 40 years ago somebody said to me that hurt. Why do words stick like that? Because they have struck us deeply. They have scarred us. That is the power of the tongue. And, you know, James talks about uh, in verse 2, he says, if you don't stumble in many ways, you're a perfect man. Let's, we got to address this. Perfection, this perfect man. As he stated in previously, I don't know if you guys remember back all the way to chapter 1, but it's best to see perfection 
and being perfect as becoming mature or growing towards such perfection. While we'll never fully reach it in this life, because why? There was only one human that was completely sinless in speech. Only one. And that was Jesus Christ. But we strive for perfection. We fight for perfection and not stumbling in what we say. So which in turn helps us bridle the body. Now this is where it gets good because James is not done. He is going to drive this point home. James now leads us into some illustrations of the tongue's power, especially in its potential for harm. He impresses on the importance of speech right, along with great consequences that can follow with pictures or illustrated images of the tongue. And of course, church family, his main purpose in appealing to our imaginations is to warn us of the destructive power of what our speech can do. I am absolutely certain that every single person in here has been hurt by somebody else through words. You have to have been. Unless you're a newborn. You have to have been. We've lived long enough to be hurt. And I guarantee every single person in this church has struck at somebody else with cruel words as well. We have hurt somebody. I am willing to absolutely say that we are all, right? We're all in that same boat. But let's talk about the bitten rudder. I love this illustration, right? We have a horse and we have a ship. See, when you put the bit into the horse's mouth, you can direct the horse. With the rudder, it's a small, small thing here on the back of a boat, but it also, it helps direct. But what people don't understand is that bit is fighting something. The bit is still fighting the wild nature of that horse. It is. As tame as a horse can be, they still have a nature to them, right? The ship has to battle the winds and it has to battle currents. That rudder, it's not smooth sailing. It has to fight the currents, and the winds. And like these, the human uh, tongue has to deal with our old nature. Human beings aren't off the hook. We have an old nature that our tongues, there's the combat, there's the comparison, right? There's the problem. And you know, our old nature would love for us to lose control and sin. It would love for us to say things that we ought not to say. So what are we up against? You and I are up against sin on the inside, Sin on the inside with the external pressures of the outside. And there is the struggle. The sin inside with what's happening on the outside. Keeping control of our tongue. So the tongue, just like the bit, just like the rudder, have to be under the control of a strong person. You can't have a weak person guiding that horse. You can't have a weak person on that rudder. You can't have a weak person... (laughs) with the tongue. It has to be someone strong. Notice that each of these, though, control the whole body. The bit controls the whole body. The rudder controls the whole vessel. The tongue controls the whole body. That's why he said earlier, if you're able to bridle your tongue, then you're able to bridle your body. We have to remember, the tongue brings everything else right into it. Remember my example of a kid getting in a fight? Cashing that check? The body has Uh, is brought into that as well. So, the main point of comparison here, why I spend a little more time on this, the main comparison is how such a small thing can have such large effects. And you may be thinking, well, Pastor Mark, Dad, you're talking about non-believers, you're talking about outside the church. Absolutely not. I'm talking right here. 
I'm talking about you and me, okay? Proverbs 18, you know what it says in Proverbs 18? It says, it warns us that death and life are in the power of the tongue. That should frighten you. And in Matthew 12, it says that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So out of the abundance of the heart, my mouth speaks. That's where my tongue is. And the tongue holds the power of what? Life and death. It's almost like we don't even want to mention anything. I can imagine all y'all's lunches today. You're going to be absolutely quiet, aren't you? Scared to say anything. One of my favorite verses in the Psalms is uh, Psalm 141.3. Psalm 141.3. This is David praying about this very thing. He says, Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. I love this verse. I printed this verse out years and years ago and carried it in my wallet for just as many years. I carried it in my wallet. You know why? Because I was saying things that I ought not to say. And it wasn't bad. I was getting in arguments with people. Theological arguments. Arguments over evolution. Arguments over the existence of God. Arguments over morality. We were getting, and, and, and it was all about winning the argument. It wasn't testimony. It wasn't witnessing. It was just, I want to, I'm going to prove you wrong, and that's my sole purpose. And did things get nasty? Of course they did. And it did no good. I had to learn, Mark, Tanner, you have got to shut your mouth. You need to set a guard over the door of your lips. You were doing nobody any good. Same thing with getting upset, you know, hot-tempered. Same thing with gossip. The power of the tongue is so, so dangerous. Set a guard, O oh Lord, over my mouth. Sometimes we have to pray that before we speak to somebody. You ever written a letter or an email or a text? You said, I'm going to hold that for one day. I'm going to see if my mind changes. I need to be careful before I send this because I am angry. A lot of you had to tell me to do that. And it's good. Most of the time we delete it because we never wanted to say that. It was the heat of the moment. We need that guard. And the tongue boasts of great things. James talks about this. Let me explain the tongue boasting of great things. He's illustrating the power and the influence, right, of the tongue. But this may be done in great many respects. It may be done in a great many respects. For instance, he does it by referring to its boasting, uh, to the effects which it produces the effects which it produces, whether good or bad. But here he's resembling that of fire, the destructive power of the tongues. Let me ask you, can our words start fires? Of course. Of course. A fire can begin with the smallest of sparks. We know that. Yet it can destroy whole cities. A small spark. Psalm 39.3 says this, Psalm 39.3 My heart became hot within me as I mused, meaning as I thought, as I absorbed in thought, as I mused, the fire burned and then I spoke with my tongue. Did you hear that? A head that is hot, a heart that is hot, will gratefully lead to words that burn. We've all spoken to somebody really cruel in the heat of the moment. Anger, frustration, Lack of patience, right? We have spoken out. But do you realize that a person's life can be destroyed by the tongue? Ruining reputations. Crushing hearts. I had a very good friend. This is about 20, 21 years ago. A very good friend named Tom. 
He was a teacher in the public school system in Jacksonville, Florida, Duval County. And he was an excellent history teacher. Excellent. And he was even on the news because what he was doing is he was taking his hard-earned money and he was paying kids for certain GPAs. He was paying them for grades. He was also paying them for special projects. He was into the learning through these special projects. He made the news. Great guy. Musician, of course. And a good Christian man. But two girls accused him of inappropriate touch. And we've heard this in the school system. They accused him of touching them inappropriately. And so his world was turned upside down. This poor guy, his world was turned upside down. Um, he was let, uh, released, you know, from his position. And he was tainted, he was stained with that, these accusations. And I remember him being at his house just, just, just numb. Couldn't believe it. The school board was investigating him. Law enforcement was investigating him. It was a huge deal. And then it came out about two, two and a half months later, it came out. The girls made it all up because they didn't get a good grade. They didn't get a grade, good, good grade. He wouldn't change the good grade. So they said that he touched them. He didn't. But he's staying forever. He will not teach. Those kids in that county lost a great teacher. He won't teach. He won't go near children anymore teaching because of those accusations, those words. He won't touch it. He's been hurt. He's been scarred. He's a different person. Much more quieter. Much more reserved. And it's a sad thing because they lied. The power of their words ruined a reputation. They ruined a man's life. This is why we are called to be gracious in our speech. Colossians 4.6 Colossians 4, 6. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. I would love a program in my head where anybody I ran into that day, I could go, okay, I know what to say to this person. I know what to say to this person. But it's not like that. We're human. We're in error. We're flawed. That's why it's all the more important to be gracious and also set a guard over our mouth. So James says the tongue is a world of unrighteousness, staining the whole body, setting on fire the course of life. Could you imagine anywhere you wanted to go there was fire because your tongue, tongue has set it and it spread? You've heard burning bridges, right? Where people can't go back to a job or a relationship, they burnt that bridge, right? We set fire. Again, with the ship and the horse. The ship is on a course. The horse is on a course. If something happens with the rudder or that bit, they can go off course. Same thing with our bodies. Our tongues will direct us and lead us right off course. And it says set fire. Uh, set on fire by hell. Now this is something else. Set on fire by hell. The Greek word for hell here is called Gehenna. Okay? And I want to explain where this is coming from. Um, it's used in the New Testament. Gehenna. And it's a transliteration of what we call the Valley of Hinnom. Now, the Valley of Hinnom is a marker, kind of it's in between Judah and Benjamin. But here's what happened. Uh, Jeremiah is the one who kind of brings this up. Jeremiah began to associate this place with God's divine wrath and God's judgment because there were Old Testament kings that were sacrificing their children, burning them alive. They were burning them. There were fires, and they were killing the kids there. 
So the term Gehenna is primarily used in our synoptic gospels as a symbol of future eschatological judgment. And that bears the sense of a place of physical and spiritual torment and destruction. That's where we see hell, right? That lake of fire. So the gospel writers are basing the usage on Jeremiah's reinterpretation and the sacrifices that happen there. So when they say the fire, uh, set fire on by hell, right? What they're saying is the fire is representative of Satan and his agents control over our tongues. The evil speech that they want you to speak. Believe me when I tell you, Satan wants you to say what he wants you to say. Either he's going to set fire to your tongue or you're going to allow God to set fire to your tongue. And that's a daily choice, ladies and gentlemen. But even as we stumble, even as we stumble in many ways, even as we fail to control our tongues at different times and in different situations, we as believers still need to guard our words more carefully, striving to grow more and more mature so that we continue on towards, towards the perfection. We're not perfected, but towards it so that we, because one day, you know what? One day we are all going to experience that. We are going to see what perfection actually looks like. Man can tame the creatures of the earth. I mean, goodness gracious, look at SeaWorld, all the things they train, circuses, our pets. Can man tame? Yeah, do we have dominion? Do we have power over these animals? Absolutely. But can we tame the tongue? That's James' question here. He says it's a restless evil. It's full of deadly poison. Have you ever thought about that? It's an evil that never rests and possesses poison. That is frightening to know that's what is inside us. It's an instrument. What if I had large containers up here of venomous snakes and I kind of just dumped them? Balcony, you're not safe either. There's your container. Slithering snakes, venom. You would feel very uncomfortable, right? We'd probably put our legs up a little bit, maybe jump up higher. I, would be t I don't like snakes anyways. I don't care if they're venomous. But imagine a bunch of snakes in here with that poison ready to strike at you. Tell me what the difference is between your poisonous tongue, what you can inject, versus that venomous snake. There's not any difference. The same results. And poison hits in, hits, it's in secret. You don't see what's happening. It's in secret. It's slow, it's painful, and it kills. Folks, this is a beautiful image of what our words can do. It's the same result. We have to remember that. The power of speech is God-given, though. As we think of those snakes slithering, we think about our tongues being the same. That speech, it is God-given. It is a gift that holds great power. With it, we can praise God. We can pray. We can preach the Word. We can lead others to Christ. Unfortunately, though, we can also tell lies. We can tell lies. We can ruin reputations. Like I said, we can break hearts. We can crush spirits. Again, our God-given ability to speak words is a gift that should not be taken for granted because with words, we influence others. We can accomplish great tasks. But with that power comes responsibility. Responsibility on our side. Proverbs 18.4 says this, the words of a man's mouth are deep waters. The fountain of wisdom is a bubbling brook. And Proverbs 10.11, the mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. Water is often used in Scripture to illustrate life. 
And you will agree with me, water is life-giving, isn't it? We have to have it. But left uncontrolled, it can cause great destruction. Now, everybody look at verse 9. This is key for me right here. With it, we bless our Lord and Father. With it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. The likeness of God. Even at a human being's worst. I'm talking horrible person now. You've encountered them. You know who I'm talking about. They still maintain a dignity that comes from being created in the likeness of God. Connections and I talked about this Wednesday night. We were exploring the doctrine of humanity. And with humanity comes the likeness of God. And as we talked about it, the reality of a person possessing this dignity should help us both in the restraint of our speech, of our hurtful words, And it should also help us defer judgment to God. We are not the judges, folks. Yet we want to play that role as judge. And with that, we let our tongues lash out. Sentences. We hurt. We hurt others. The likeness of God. Folks, this is not a physical likeness. So let's dismiss that altogether. We're talking about His characteristics. We're talking about His attributes. Mentally, for instance. Mentally, he, we, you and I were created as rational, volitional beings. We can we have the freedom to choose, create, make decisions, right? We can reason. Anytime someone invents something, writes a song, right? An author who finishes a book, we name a pet. <laughs> I mean, anything we do, calculate your checkbook, balance it. You are proclaiming the fact that we are made in God's image because this is a reflection of God's intellect and His freedom. Mentally. Let's talk about morally. Morally, humanity was created in righteousness and perfect innocence. It was, he, we were, uh, original man was a f- reflection of God's holiness. And God saw that all He made was what? Very good. Humanity included. But our conscience, right? Our moral compass that's the remnant of that original state. That's what's left. That's the, uh, the remnant of it. See, whenever someone ever creates a law, right? Or we step back. Ooh, that's evil. I don't want to be involved in that. Like, praise good behavior like we all like to do, right? If we feel guilty, we feel convicted. Ladies and gentlemen, we're confirming the fact that we are made in God's image. This is reflecting the morality that we have and that we possess, Socially, relationally, humanity was created in fellowship. This reflects God's triune nature, the Trinity. It reflects His love and the relationship He enjoys with the Father, Son, and the Spirit. In Eden, humanity's primary relationship was with God, right? And then God made man, but what did He do next? He made the first woman because it wasn't good for man to be alone. Relationship. Every time someone marries, every time we have children, make a friend, right? We greet each other and hug each other. We attend church. We are demonstrating that we are made in the likeness of God. We even have eternity built in us. I explain that to connections. I can't go to a funeral and not question eternity. Not question is it real, going, wow, that's just a body. Where's the person? Where's the personality? Somewhere else. So, Eternity is built into us. We are made in the likeness of God, and so is every other human being. 
So, in regard to humanity today, we can see a great difference between the holiness of God's character and human character. That is easy to see. We have distorted the very nature of God's character in, in humanity because of this. Because of rejecting God's holiness and rule in our lives. This includes our speech. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. And what does James, uh, James say to us? Hey man, these things ought not to be. So James continues to drive his point home here by discussing salt water and fresh water. These are things we can easily relate to. If there did exist a spring that produced both salt and fresh water, I'm going to go ahead and tell you that spring is very undesirable. Don't swim in that water. Don't drink that water. It is not going to be pleasant. And everybody look at verse 12 for me. Our closing verse here. Look at verse 12. It says, Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. See, the application here is this. You and I as believers are regenerated by God. Through His Word, in keeping with our status as what? A new creation. And that is in Christ. Speaking words that are good. Speaking words that are kind to both our God and man. If we are regenerated, if we are that new creation, that is the fruit that we should bear. In our speech, James is calling us to be consistent because if we are, if our tongue is inconsistent, then there is something that is radically wrong with the heart. It's not your speech, your corrupted speech or your hurtful words. The tongue is instrumental in that. It is in the heart. Matthew 15, 18. Matthew 15, 18. But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart and that defiles a person. We have defiled ourselves. Out of the heart is where that nasty, corrupted, hurtful speech comes from. So, it is a real possibility today Right now, it is a real possibility that sinful speech has become such a normal pattern in our lives that we don't even notice it. It is also possible that our hearts have become so callous that we aren't even aware of our corrupted speech anymore. We need God to convict us. We need God to convict us of our sinful tongues. We need to invite others into our lives to help us with accountability in that. But one thing is true. Jesus died on the cross for our sinful words, our corrupted speech, our poisonous tongues. Because of Jesus, even our tongues will be welcomed into eternity. And that is an amazing thing. So what do we do with this knowledge, church family? And closing, what do we do with this knowledge? Our words can build and destroy. Our words can hurt and heal. The tongue is powerful. Wisdom is needed here. You know, the book of Proverbs is a great resource for wisdom. If we are to take to the task uh, for correcting our speech, right? If we're to take this to heart and take to this task, Proverbs is a wonderful, wonderful book for the potential of understanding the greatness and the harm when it comes to our tongues. But coming before God and asking Him to reveal, right? To reveal your heart condition should be your first step. That should be the very, very first step. First, God, what's wrong here? Asking for conviction and help is what we all need to do as we pray, as we commune with God. If we could just all remember the dignity that every human being has because of 
the likeness of cause of their being made in the likeness of God, just as you are made in his likeness. You and I, we are made in his likeness. If we could remember that, we could begin to truly see our words weighing a ton. Like Calvin Coolidge said, weighing a ton so that we can speak more graciously and that we too could have words that are seasoned with salt. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, Lord, you know every single heart in this building. You know our hearts when we sleep. You know our hearts when we're awake. Heavenly Father, we beg you to help us control what comes out. We know it stems from a bad heart, a calloused heart. And we know we have hurt and scarred others, Father. We want to take control of that corrupted and hurtful speech, Lord. We want to be able to steer and direct the body properly as you would have us do. So God, we pray today that you help us set a guard over our mouth. Father, we pray today that you renew our heart. Give us the spirit, Lord, of love. Give us the spirit of truly understanding that every person that we encounter was made in the likeness of you. You created them. You knit them in their mother's womb, Lord. Let us see that dignity, Father, so that we can treat each other just as we would want to be treated. Father, we pray for that kind of control. We pray for that maturity. We pray for that strength today, Lord. That's what we need. Lord, we love you so much. We thank you for your redemptive power. We thank you for the redemptive plan. Father, as we live this life under that beautiful redemption, let us live a life worthy of that. Let us live a life worthy in the manner of the gospel. Let us follow in obedience how you want us to speak to others. So we pray for that, Lord. We pray for a clean heart. Lord, we pray for a controlled tongue. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.